From the Financial Times in London, I'm Murad Ahmed and this is FT News. This summer's World Cup will probably attract more viewers than any previous World Cup, or indeed any other single event in human history. But millennials will not be sitting in groups in front of their televisions, as previous generations did. Many will instead be watching it in ways that were rare or non-existent during the last tournament four years ago. FT economist Simon Cooper has been looking at the business behind the World Cup and he's with me on the line now to discuss his findings. Thanks for joining us, Simon. First, let's put this in perspective. What's the total TV audience expected to be for this World Cup? Well, the Future Sport Consultancy says that cumulatively it will be 10.8 billion, so that's about one and a half times the world's population, watching at least some live football from the World Cup. Most people are watching more than one game. And that's 14% more than even in 2014. So although we know the death of television is happening, people are cutting their cords and not buying TVs, this World Cup people will still watch an enormous, unprecedented amount of TV. And surely this is good news for FIFA, the international governing body of the sport, and for the traditional broadcasters? It is, but the missing bit is that there'll be lots more watching of, let's say, non-TV during this World Cup. People will be going to fan channels for players like Ronaldo or Mo Salah. They'll be talking on social media about the games. They'll be doing a huge amount of playing video games that relate to the World Cup. And they'll just be doing a lot of the football watching that they do normally, which is very far from actual games. It's watching crossbar challenges or watching freestylers who are guys and girls who can do amazing tricks with the ball. So the watching of live games has become really just a small portion of football viewing nowadays. So what are the new ways that millennials will be consuming the World Cup this year? I mean, all those ways I mentioned, also streaming. And remember that a lot of the games are during work time. So you won't sit down and watch 90 minutes on a big screen. But if you, you know, hear on social media that a goal has been scored, say, in Uruguay, Egypt, you'll then go on social media and find a clip of the goal, illegal or illegal. And, you know, that you'll share that. And meanwhile, you might be getting a video from a friend who's in the stadium who's videoed herself on uh, Snapchat and sent it to you. So that will get you in the mood. You'll be able to also see how people in Uruguay in a bar are celebrating the goal. So there'll just be an enormous amount of different interactions. And even if you have the live TV on, it might be one of five screens that you're engaging with at the same time. Because, of course, the habit that people like me grew up with, which is that the game started and you watched the game and you didn't do anything else, that's gone. People are doing an immense amount of things simultaneously relating to a World Cup match now. But it's not clear that anybody's actually watching the game if they've got five screens going at the same time. Is that a problem for the sport? It is, because it's a problem financially for advertisers. And because it is the world's biggest TV event, there's a huge amount of advertising. A lot of the advertising is pre-match, post-match and during half-time. And... That is exactly when people look at the screen, younger people, especially millennials, they look at the TV and they see, well, here's some boring old men in suits about to exchange cliches about the game we've just seen on, let's say, the BBC or on the main broadcaster in any country you happen to be living in. I'm definitely not going to watch that. I'm going to go to, a, let's say, a millennial podcast instead, or I'm going to get on social media and debate the game with my friends. And so people will be switching off and advertisers will be looking to reach them elsewhere. So that matters. I mean, you could also just say emotionally, it's sad that people don't experience the game as fully and intensively as we used to in the good old days. But then that's me as an old person speaking.
I'm a similarly old person when it comes to actually watching the games. But as with any disruption from the technology world, there must be some new businesses who are taking advantage of this shift. Yeah, I mean, for example, I went to see Copa 90, which is very much an online broadcaster for young people in uh, headquarters in Farringdon in London. And they really kind of turn away from the match. And what they do is they focus on fan culture. So they had last time a journalist who went to Brazil. I think he hitchhiked to Brazil thousands of miles on his own steam. They will have hundreds of correspondents in different countries. So when Iran play, they're not going to be able to show you the match, but they're going to show you how people in Tehran are living the match. And there's an enormous demand for that among millennials. So, you know, the games themselves are just a small portion of what a World Cup's about, and often the most boring part, because you know, having been to many World Cups, I know that, especially the first round, there's an enormous amount of tedious, low-quality football. Think of the first match, Russia-Saudi Arabia. So it's not that the World Cup is the best football event ever. It's just a great kind of global carnival. And a lot of people are much more interested in the carnival than in the football. And what about the traditional clubs, the national teams and the top players? Who stands to benefit? Who might win or lose from this transformation? not yet, players are going to claim a bit more of the income from football because the business model of the game until now has been we sell the match to a broadcaster and that's how football makes its money. That money is paid out to clubs and federations because they control the match rights and they give an enormous share to the players. But I think what's going to start happening now is players say, actually, I'm the star of the show So why don't I create content that I sell off my own bat? For example, the player might say, I will speak to my fans from my hotel room at the World Cup. I will film some banter at the breakfast table in training camp. And, you know, a few years from now, you know, FIFA have tried to organize new tournaments to milk more money out of the game. But you can imagine players like Ronaldo and Messi and Salah getting together and say, why don't we organize a -a five-a-side tournament? You know, 60 of the world's best players, five-a-side teams, we control the rights. And, you know, we'll cut out the middleman of FIFA and the clubs. So I think you're going to see players trying to monetize in these ways, and especially the agents of players, because players tend not to know that much about how to do this. If you think that Ronaldo has 120 million Facebook followers, which is more than any other human being, there's a lot of money that can be made out of those followers, for example, through advertising. That hasn't happened in a huge way yet, but I think it will. So it sounds like millennial players are going to end up disrupting the sport soon enough. Thanks, Simon. And don't forget that you can read more on our Millennial Moment series and on the World Cup at ft.com. Hello. We're rethinking our podcast strategy here at the Financial Times and we'd love to hear your views. We're asking listeners to rate our podcasts and to tell us what you like and don't like about our shows. To contribute to our survey, follow the link in our show notes or go to ft.com forward slash podcast feedback to enter our prize draw to win £500 or the equivalent in dollars. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. 
Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.